The Midnight Myth has a simple mission, to find and understand the perfect story. We sail through history, mythology, philosophy, and pop culture, unpacking blockbuster movies, TV favorites, and literary phenomena. In the process, we recognize patterns. Here, at the end of another year, we'll highlight some of these major themes and look ahead to what we expect to see next year. Happy New Year from the Midnight Myth. Welcome back to the Midnight Myth, everybody's favorite podcast where we analyze history, mythology, philosophy, pop culture, and all other good things. As always, I am very excited to bring you this episode. Now, depending upon when you get and download this episode, it may still be 2018 or it may be 2019. Should old acquaintance be forgot? In old anxiety. Is that right? Old anxiety? No, 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 not at all. I don't even know how it goes. Old anxiety. (laughs) Old anxiety. (laughs) Well, that's the point. Old anxieties are getting shrugged off, and 2019 is coming, and it's going to be our year, I think. It's going to be all of our year. Yeah, well, 2018 was quite a year. So we're kicking off what we think might become a new Midnight Myth tradition. We took some time, and we went back through every episode we recorded in 2018, And we started meditating on what this year meant in terms of our mission at the Midnight Myth podcast, which is to understand universal themes in storytelling that permeate throughout time. And in so, we hope to learn about ourselves and this strange and weird fucked up thing called being an alive human being in this moment. So we wanted to do a year-end review where we discuss sort of uh, first and foremost some of our major fun storytelling moments of the year, what those meant to us, what they hopefully meant to you, our listeners, and then discuss some connecting themes throughout the podcast that we saw sort of permeate in through our discussions. And then lastly, we're going to end with some midnight myth, what we want out of 2019, some New Year's resolutions, if you will. Yeah, Uh, I'm really excited to do this because there is nothing more on mission for the Midnight Myth, I think, than to look back at the conversations that we've had and start to recognize those patterns. Start to say, okay, we talked about Black Panther, we talked about Infinity War, we talked about Star Wars, and in between we saw some art house films, we looked back at Children of Men, all kinds of things, and say, actually, here are the things that tie those together. Because at the end of the day, this podcast was started so that we could recognize what's universal about storytelling, what gets to us personally, and say, hey, is there really just one story that we're all telling, and what does that story mean to us? So it's exciting to look back over the year, and I hope we'll do this again in the future. So I want to start off with my big moment of 2018. Please. The thing that sticks out the most in my mind, the things that resonated throughout the whole year, and one of the things that helped define this year. And for me, it was as a Philadelphian, 
as a football fan and as a person who loves sports and the narrative of sports, the biggest moment for me was the Eagles winning the Super Bowl. Yep. Us going to the parade and then podcasting about the story that has come to define Philadelphia sports culture, which is Rocky. And us being able to integrate one of the great cinema works of art, one of the great Philadelphia works of art into our lives and into the podcast. To me, I'm still riding that high of the Eagles winning the Super Bowl. And to me, that was the start of the year. And it's weird because there is a sort of juxtaposition of how I look back at 2018. 2018 started with the Eagles winning the Super Bowl, ended with me getting married um, to my co-host and wife, Laurel. And I had just such a great personal year. We bought a home in this year. We've recorded a podcast nearly every week. Some weeks we recorded two. It was such a phenomenal year. While outside of the bubble that is my life, the rest of the year was kind of shit for a lot yeah. of people. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, so it's weird how great how much personal triumph there was and, you know, juxtaposed to sort of all of the pain and anger and hatred and strife that's existing in the world. Wow, wow. No, that's a, an interesting and important thing to bring up because it was a tremendous year for us personally, full of a lot of big uh, life milestones that we then modeled some of our podcast recording off of, where we were looking for stories that highlighted the uh, the kind of content that lined up with the themes we were experiencing. But I think we also tried to look outside. We also tried to turn a lens to the untold story, turn a lens to the uh, the story of the person who is cast out or who is marginalized and something that I hope we'll try to continue doing. Well, um, that's interesting. My second yeah. big moment of storytelling in 2018 was Black Panther. And what an amazing movie that was. Again, that was really early in 2018. Yeah. But I feel like it set the tone and the standard and raised the bar for pop culture storytelling. I think going forward, I will have the metric of Black Panther quality, yes or no, which will be where I will rank movies. For example, in the Marvel Universe, there is Ant-Man and the Wasp. Fine movie, but ranked just below below the Black Panther bar. Right. And then there was Infinity War, which I feel like met that bar. Right. You know, and so I feel like there was the Han Solo movie that's below the Black Panther yeah. bar. Yeah. You know, then there was The Last Jedi, which meets the Black Panther bar, in my view. Right. Yeah. And I do think that Black Panther was one of the most important movies, if not the most important popular movie that came out in 2018. Uh, and we had a chance to talk about it at length. So head back to our Black Panther episode to hear more about uh, some of the themes we identified there. But it was so exciting to see uh, what it did for representation, uh, the pathway that it's paving for blockbuster movies starring people of color in major roles and majority black casts, which is amazing. And then next year we're going to see a Lion King with a majority black cast, which is awesome. Um, and, and to me, you add all of what that meant culturally for inclusion, you also couple it with this Shakespearean epic story that was just executed with fantastic acting, fantastic writing, that was both 
entertaining and engaging. Yeah. That mix in pop culture is, it's very rare where something can be enjoyed as like a popcorn fun, awesome superhero movie, or we can peel under the surface. We can peel the onion layers back and really examine what this movie is saying and its arguments. And Black Panther balances that, I think, as good as any piece of pop culture. Certainly the best of 2018. Yeah, it was I'm, incredible and and deep on many, many, many levels. So. I'm, I'm willing to declare it the best movie I saw in 2018. All right, nice, nice. Um, I'd like to jump in with one of my favorite storytelling moments of this year. And I, it, although it was a story that didn't bring a lot of light and um, lightness to the universe that it entered. I think it was telling some of the most important stories uh, and giving voice to the most important uh, characters this year, and that was Handmaid's Tale Season 2. A lot of us who watched when it came out on Hulu were surprised and shocked and amazed by the fact that many of the storylines that were happening on Handmaid's Tale Season 2, which had been shot months and months before, were lining up with what was happening in the headlines as though they had predicted it, Uh, which is a scary thing that a piece of speculative fiction that is now... it's it's now dividing from the source material, is now moving past its source material, and so just working from scratch, from whole cloth, was able to predict some of the most horrible atrocities that happened uh, in our sphere this year, like children being separated from their parents at the border. Uh, the same week that that made the the major headlines was the episode where uh, of Fred or June gets to see her daughter one more time, and her daughter Hannah. Uh, gets ripped from her side and calls out to her. And so it was a really powerful um, and kind of electric moment in storytelling where uh, art was mirroring life. I also uh, just want to throw some more praise on Handmaid's Tale Season 2 for um, how much it expanded an already pretty flawless piece of science fiction and a a pretty incredible world uh, that Margaret Atwood created and I, I know that I had a little bit of a, a double take when I heard they were going to do a season two because season one had ended where the book ended. Uh, and I think they did the best possible thing you can do with a sequel, which is to continue to use your storytelling universe to expand the world, to lift up voices that hadn't been heard before, uh, and to give us more opportunities for empathy. I think it did uh, just a beautiful job of creating complex women, complex men, complex people across the board, and allowing us to step into this world and hopefully stop our world from becoming it. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. So I think in terms of television, from what I engaged with, um, Handmade Season 2, I think, is the best show I saw in 2018. Yeah. Um, and that excludes, we did some rewatches in 2018, um, of some really great, powerful, and um, accl- like acclaimed, uh, award-winning, rather, is what the word I'm looking for. Also starring Elizabeth Moss. <laughs> also starring Elizabeth Moss, because we rewatched The Sopranos and Mad Men. Um, but in terms of new content, it's hard to think of anything that's going to top Handmade Season 2. And amazing that there was no sophomore slump there that may have even gotten better over uh, uh, Season 1. Yeah, you know, the the only knock I have against Handmade Handmaid's Tale season two was the emotional toll that it takes. It was rough. <laughs> it was it hard. It was really, really rough. It is a complex piece of art and it is 
challenging and it's engaging, but it's also very painful, in particular, the way in which we see the seeds of Gilead in our own society, as we uh, have seen in, in our current sort of global trend for liberal democracies to be flirting heavily with authoritarianism and flirting heavily with totalitarianism yeah. and a, a step away from individual liberty and freedom and the principles of unity and universal human rights are not really part of the body politic in many of the world's great free societies, America included. It's really scary when you see that how that can slip into full-on military dictatorship in The Handmaid's Tale. And we did a really fun um, and engaging podcast on it this year. So I would encourage everyone to go back and look at it. You know, which brings me to one of the themes that we discussed a lot this year. Yeah, go for it. In that. So one of the themes, and uh, we talked about it in The Handmaid's Tale. We talk about it in Infinity War and several other things. We talked about it in Children of Men was that the idea that societies and and in particular liberal democracies are fragile, that every great society can slip on the edge of the knife and cut itself yeah, to pieces yeah. is a theme that we went back to many, many times as a cautionary tale as we see our flirtation with um, a dictator that we we currently are playing with and we see it tested in our president who's like, President for life. That sounds good to me. And a lot of people like that idea. Yeah. Oh, hey, look, when this dictator walks into a room, everybody stands to attention. I like that. Why don't people do that for me? Right, right. You know, when we see um, in our current president, who certainly admires, likes, and respects dictators in the world, and that flirtation that Americans are having, like maybe we should be an authoritarian society. What good is this freedom thing anyway? Is it a thing that this currently we're working through and we are at this fragile precipice where does our rule of law sustained does our international liberal order which has kept the peace amongst industrialized western nations since the fall of world war ii since the end of world war ii pardon me is that going to continue and sustain through the next generation so can i ask you a question with regard to that theme uh if if we are on the edge of that knife and we have stories like The Handmaid's Tale uh, examining that. And we can look back a few years at stories like Children of Men and many others that have fallen in its wake. Uh, how do our stories help? Do our stories help? Is there anything that we gain from rewatching Children of Men and being able to recognize those signs? Is there anything that we gain from Handmaid's Tale lining up for, with the headlines? I would say it's tough to answer that definitively. Because the question is, is is there anything to be gained? The question would be is, can we prevent right. our, our society from slipping into authoritarianism? Right. Is that something that we can prevent? And I don't know the answer to that. I can say personally, as, a, as an individual, I find them cathartic. They yes. help me. It helps me and it helps motivate me and inspire me and keep me engaged in politics in a healthy way when I engage with material like Handmaid's Tale season two or children of men. Yeah. When we, when we flirt, when we use the intellectual and imaginative exercise to be like, this is what it could look like, look like, should it all go to shit. 
really helps me say, let's stop it from going let's to shit. Let's stop it from going to shit. Let's really, really work at it. Yeah. Will it actually help our society stop authoritarianism? I have no idea. I hope it does have that effect because Handmaid's Tale needs to be happening now. This is the time where that story is the most relevant yeah. because we are at that precipice right now where do right. we stay as Americans and America or do we become Gilead? Right. And that's a real hard look. Um, whether that stops us from becoming an actual Gilead style nation, I don't know. I sure as shit hope so. Yeah. Interesting. Very, very interesting. And as we move forward into 2019, a question that we need to examine in this podcast is, do we deserve it? Do we deserve our freedom? Right. Because if we do, we're going to have to fight for it because it's not a foregone conclusion that we're going to keep it. No. You know, because there are those in power actively seeking to limit as much freedoms from as many people as they can, included but not limited to the right to vote. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So we need to really, really examine that. And I think art can be a really, it's, so for me, it's personally helpful. Will it help our civilization? Question mark. <laughs> yeah. Can it move the needle? Uh, one thing that I, I do find about at least those two examples uh, that is helpful again personally, but hopefully is helpful on a macro level as well, is the uh, is the attention to uh to the unheard voice, uh, the attention that uh, Quaran's camera pays to those who are suffering in Children of Men, where it lingers on the faces of uh, refugees who are left out, or it lingers on the faces of people in the camps who have been uh, tortured and killed. Uh, and then in The Handmaid's Tale, how it elevates the stories of Moira and Emily and these characters who are uh, pushed out and who are abused for just being different or just being women or just being gay, just being themselves. Uh, and, and so what I hope is that that is a, a stir of empathy for the other. Absolutely. It's recognized. Absolutely. Cause I think that is the ultimate, you know, good from communal storytelling that we can, right. we can still grasp is that a good story forces us to see the world through another's eyes. Yeah. And that can hopefully make us more empathetic as an individual and then by extension as a species. Right. Because the one thing, the glue that keeps us together is when we look at all humans as full humans with human rights, the world has a chance to be at peace. Yeah. Another theme that we constantly come back to is is uh, human beings as ends in themselves and not as means. We come back to Immanuel Kant. Um, so, yeah, I love that. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about that we, we experienced, uh, through a number of different stories this year on the podcast, uh, and was really exciting to me was that we spent a lot of time on women. We spent a lot of time on the stories of women and, uh, stories that are deeply about femininity uh, and deeply about a conversation with gender. Uh, and it's, it's good to, to have those conversations because it helps both of us become better feminists and hopefully helps listeners become better feminists because we are all learning. Uh, but this 2018 was the year of the woman, right? Uh, the Me Too movement broke out uh, at the end, uh, tail end of 2017, but this year it has really 
taken hold of people and we've seen some changes in some industries and it is still a long, long march. Uh, but we are on this slow path toward recognizing women as full human beings. Uh, so it was interesting to engage with a bunch of different narratives about women uh, this year, starting, uh, I think, with Pan's Labyrinth was one of the first ones that we did this year, where we talked a lot about uh, coming of age as a woman and how much uh, puberty and menstruation and the changes in a woman's body uh, can be these traumatic coming-of-age experiences that women are rarely prepared for. I think we even touched on that in the Little Mermaid podcast that we did, uh, talking about women's sexuality and the uh, age-old archetypes of women as uh, seductresses or as sorceresses who are here to tempt men like sirens to the depths of the ocean and kill them, and how... Uh, some storytellers, uh, like Guillermo del Toro especially, are experts at subverting that archetype of the temptress, subverting that arch archetype of the succubus and saying, those things that you identify as evil or monstrous or uh, weaknesses about a woman are actually strengths. That the sneaky women, that the ones who will continue to rebel in the shadows, that the ones that may hide a dagger behind their back to kill a fascist are the true heroes. So that was very exciting to interact with Penn's Labyrinth, with The Shape of Water, and even with Cersei Lannister in that way. Very, very exciting. Yeah, I was going to say we did three character case studies of Game of Thrones women this year. We did Sansa, yeah, Daenerys, we did. Yeah. And, and Cersei. And Cersei. That was awesome. So we did, we focused primarily, we did, I think we did a Tyrion this year as well. We did, yeah. But the, the bulk of our character case studies of Game of Thrones this year were in the women characters. Yeah. And understanding them a little bit better and understanding how Martin has done justice and sometimes injustice yeah. to women and women characters. And the show has sometimes done justice and injustice to them. Yeah, we tried to take a, a very honest and brutally honest look. Yeah, the but at the end of it, the last one we did, Sansa coming with the Sansa can out Littlefinger, Littlefinger, and still be a Stark. Yeah, which yeah, which is awesome. Absolutely, and calls back to Mercedes from Pan's Labyrinth, or calls back to Eliza from The Shape of Water, and uh, these ideas of these sort of ancient flaws that are perceived in women that are actually not flaws; they are uh, sources of great power. You know, and to me, the you talk about the Me Too movement and what that's meant in literature and storytelling and how what what that has done to our society and the good work of making sure men are held accountable for deviance and assault and treating women as less than humans. And it just reminds me of a as a straight man, all of the work that I still need to do going into 2019 to be a better feminist. To first admit, like, for a long time, I was just like, Psh, I'd never be a feminist. Feminists suck. I was one of those bros right. for a long period well, of my life. And it's it's shaking and rattling to be like, wait, hold on. Feminism is, is just about looking across yeah. at a fellow human being and saying, hi, human being, you're human and deserve things like... A voice and space. And equal pay. And money um, and opportunity. Well, because, so we are all victims of the patriarchy, right? Even uh, even men. Uh, all men are victims of the patriarchy because it 
it dictates an entire system of the world. Uh, and so to break out of the idea that uh, you were unable to call yourself a feminist for so long because you thought that that might endanger your masculinity is, is a good thing. Like that should be applauded and we should make space for that. Um, that kind of brings me to another thing that we engaged with this year. Please. Very similarly. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about our Sopranos episode because we spent a lot of time with archetypes. Um, and one of those archetypes that it, it, that intersects with is the archetype of masculinity. And The Sopranos, which we talked about, has a really interesting and nuanced approach to what it means to be a man, what it means to be an American man, what it means to be an Italian-American man, what it means to be a father. Uh, and that was a fun uh, exploration and exercise to... Uh, look into this man's life and the lives of him and the men and women around him uh, and and see you know that all of them are victims of trying to adhere to and also trying to get out from under the shadow of so many archetypes. Oh yeah, definitely. you know and you know you think of those archetypes and our mission of tracing their roots, these really go back to our first, uh, as a species, engagement with things like literature and theater back into ancient Greece, which was patriarchal, which was uh, very much about setting up an idea of a Greek man and Greek masculinity and what that means and its superiority and creating these archetypes that have then reverberated out to the time that we have now. Yeah, we got stock characters in Commedia dell'arte, which was an Italian form of clowning and pantomime that we saw reflected perfectly in The Sopranos. Uh, later in drama, we have something emerge called the Four Temperament Ensemble, uh, which set up this uh, quadrangle of characters that all experienced this different end of a spectrum and gave us these perfect um, stock characters that weren't necessarily dynamic, but were... Uh, built for conflict on stage. And we looked at where we saw those re uh, reflected in storytelling as well. We saw a really interesting um, uh, portrayal of that in Big Little Lies from 2017, which we talked about early this year, uh, and said, okay, what happens when you get four women together? Is it just going to be sex in the city? Are they just going to be four very different types? Or are we going to show a more complex and nuanced approach to what it means to be a woman and what it means to inhabit a world that expects you to be one of these four archetypes. Uh, so again, we have storytelling giving us this sort of instruction manual for how to dig deeper and how to stop segmenting and categorizing people uh, without truly understanding them. Absolutely, totally. Uh, yeah, and then we talked about the sorting hat too with the four temperament ensemble. So we talked a lot, I think, about archetypes and categories and how they can be helpful and somehow useful academically, right? But are rarely a, uh, a true and authentic um, way to understand the world and your surroundings and people. Right. That reminds me of a thing. I forget what episode it was that we discussed this, where we discussed the idea of how to understand history and that in right. understanding history, we have created systems that segment, segment things into neat starts and stops. Right. So this is the period of ancient Rome. This is the period of 
the Renaissance. This is this is the, the year that the Roman Empire fell. Yeah, right. Correct. Like you know, and that we understand that way, and that is an artifact of needing to create systems to teach things. So at some point, ancient Egypt has to end right. academically because you have to stop the class somewhere. Yeah, you and have to have a chapter in your textbook. Somewhere ancient Egypt has to become, um, you know, medieval Egypt, for right. example. And that those transitions need to happen so we can understand how do we know what ancient Egypt is unless there is a time period where it starts and it has a middle and an end. Yeah. However, life is not actually like that. It doesn't line up that neatly. People don't wake up and say, we are no longer ancient Egypt. Yeah, we are the modern world now. We are no longer Romans. Didn't actually happen that way. Yeah. You know, and oh, there's now no Western Roman Empire and a power vacuum. Who's going to fill it? Hi, Charlemagne. You know. Right. And we under and same with the archetypes that we create that permeate that they're very neat and they help us understand the world, but that's not actually representation of raw reality. It's more fluid. And because of that, everything being interconnected, what happened in ancient China will matter to what happens in modern America. And there is a big, long continuum called the human race and our history interacts and reverberates. Everything that we do and don't do is interlocked and connected. And there is no true separation between the medieval person to the ancient person to the modern person. Absolutely. And that that uh, idea seems like a microcosm of of the podcast, right? Uh, we We are constantly sitting here looking at our favorite movies and TV shows and saying, okay, let me put this in a neat little genre box. Uh, but really, genres are not that simple. And let me put this in, you know, it is inspired by this. But really, you know, it's it's never going to be a neat little box. You have to be able to uh, open up those uh, those channels to explore every single direction that it's going to take you in. Right. A great example that kind of permeated through the Internet this year. Yeah. Two of them I'll bring up that we didn't talk about on the podcast, but they represent what oh, we're let's thinking. Do it. One is... And I know it's silly, but is Die Hard a Christmas movie? And as <laughs> okay. and in many ways, as people put on yes or no and the battle commences, in many ways it's a frivolous and yeah, like purely artificial. Watch it whenever you yeah, want to watch yeah, it. Yeah, watch it, consider it what you want to consider it. However, it also, you know, enters into the conversation of what is a movie? What is then a Christmas movie? Where does the line draw? And how do we draw these lines? tells us about ourselves more than it says about the artwork. Yeah. Well, we had one of these debates with a group of friends, and it was really funny because I, I, I can't remember if it was you or somebody else in the room said, well, it has to have at least one Christmas scene in it. So I was like, every Harry Potter movie is a Christmas movie because they all have a, you know, a Christmas scene in them. Right. Um, and so for me, yeah. you know, I would always argue that, hey, like, what's the intent? What's, was this meant what the to themes? be about right. Christmas or about, you know, killing a bunch of burglars, <laughs> you know? And so, but it, yeah. either way, but it's a representation of how humans need to segment things and organize yeah. things and put them in nice, neat little boxes. In reality, those boxes are just like fluid. It's more like a river yeah. than it is like a storage container. Absolutely. Absolutely. An ever-changing river. And the other great example of this was the, that happened during the holidays and primar primarily online is the reinterpretation of Baby It's Cold Outside. 
And the idea right. of reshaping that song and being like, wait, what do these lyrics say? Is this about rape? Well, yeah. And there was a very nuanced argument going on about this because, I mean, I feel like a lot of us have known that those lyrics are pretty rapey for a while, right? That wasn't a surprise when people were like, oh, suddenly they're banning Baby It's Cold Outside. But there was, I think, an English teacher who posted a rebuke to this that was fascinating, saying, actually, if you think about it in context of the time, this is a story about a woman who is at the house of a man she really likes, and she probably wants to have sex with him. But at this time, if she had sex with a guy, she would be seen as a loose woman. She would be totally cast out. People would talk about her. So she had to maintain some kind of plausible deniability. So this is a song about her putting on a show for the neighbors to say, at least I can say that I tried, but really she wants to exert her sexual agency. So it's amazing to think about that in context, but of course context changes over time. So regardless of what it meant in its time, is it appropriate for today? So I'm yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up, and I think it has a lot to do with that conversation about boundaries and whether they exist in a, in a raw form and what is their value. In some places they have tremendous value, like in that place. What do we want to teach through our storytelling, our songs, uh, and what we share with future generations? And you think about this. Mark Twain, considered a great American writer, yeah. was a racist. Like the American writer. Yeah. yeah. His, his books are completely totally. and totally racist. And at that time, that was 100% acceptable. Absolutely. And I'm not justifying no. his racism. But, you know, you get to a point where you're like, you know what? What we want to say about each other vis-a-vis our art, our pop culture, our songs changes. And what was once considered acceptable may now be questionable or outright objectionable. Yep, absolutely. And so I think that's another thing where, you know, it's much more fluid and much more nuanced and the meaning of things changes and who we are change. And there is no set, this is what this means permanently and forever. Die Hard, I doubt, was constructed as a Christmas narrative. Yet it has emerged as one of the great Christmas movies of all time. And that's simply because a bunch of dudes like me grew up being like, why aren't we watching this at Christmas? Because right. we didn't want to watch, um, you know, White Christmas for the hundredth time. We'd yeah. rather watch Die Hard for the hundredth time. Yeah. And that's really what it's all about. It's about people that want action movies being like, can we put this action movie with all of these other non-action movies at Christmas? And it's a win-win. Yeah, it's about creating your own definitions and recognizing uh, yourself somewhere else. We've done the same thing. You know, we we have talked about... Uh, what Indiana Jones and Coco at Thanksgiving. We talked about Wonder Woman at Thanksgiving because we think that those stories tell us something about, uh, you know, a holiday that means a lot to Americans, but uh, none of us can really pin down what it is on uh, on the inside. So, yeah, we're here creating those definitions for ourselves, but also allowing some wiggle room. Totally. So... Are there any other broader themes you want to mention before we move on to our New Year's resolutions? Um, just to kind of piggyback off of that, uh, a little more specifically, we talked about national identity and human identity this year, uh, and Black Panther was a, a major, major uh, a piece of pop culture that we explored that theme with. 
uh, because it was very much about uh, the Wakandan identity versus the black identity uh, in the world and whether or not your responsibility to uh, your country was more uh, more important than your responsibility to your race. And that can be extrapolated to is your responsibility to your country more or your race more important than your responsibility to all people. Um, so it opened up some really interesting questions that I think we are continuing to explore with uh, this stirring of empathy, saying how do we extend our brotherhood? How do we extend our sisterhood, our uh, our feeling of camaraderie and family with all humanity? Because we are all in this shit together, right? Uh, how do our stories help us to ask those questions and break those boundaries down when it's most important? How do we become one humanity? Yeah, great. I, I love it, you know. I often think of myself as an American male, as my core defining, like, who am I? I'm an American sure. man. I have a career, a podcast, a wife, a home. And when you deconstruct that, what those identities mean and what it means to be an American male, I think a lesson from Black Panther is it's okay to be a Wakandan and be a Wakandan and a proud Wakandan, but if that means at the sacrifice of being a human then right. you've crossed the line. Yeah. So being an American, an American male, and wanting and believing in those things and what it means to be those things should never come at the sacrifice of being a human. Yeah. Because if we don't first recognize ourselves as humans and all in this mess called humanity and being alive together, we then sacrifice every good part of being alive. Right. Which is... Boils down to one word, love. Love. <laughs> love. It's always all yeah. about love. And if you don't love your fellow humans because they're not Americans, you've given up your own humanity in the process. Yeah. That's overall, a good lesson. Yeah. Overall, I think for the Midnight Myth, this was the year of the modern and powerful woman. I think this was the year of family ties that bind. I think this was a year of celebrating decency and leadership in storytelling, not necessarily in the real world. Uh, of courageous self-nourishment and self-care and recognizing one's own needs uh, when trying to give back to the world around you and learning to walk a complex middle path, learning balance. Well, well said. Yeah. So let's go into some resolutions. Sure. We? Yeah. So for me, I am definitely resolved to record a podcast and try to report, record a podcast every week barring us being on vacation. I don't want to miss okay. any weeks yeah. whatsoever. We are going to keep this thing going. And that's because of all of you listeners, because yeah. of you and because you're out there downloading and listening, we're going to keep putting out content. So thank you listeners. Thank you for going on this journey with us through 2018. We are going to do it again in 2019 and it's going to be fucking epic. Yeah, it is. Nice. O other things that I want to resolve to do in 2018, 19 is to continue to learn to be a better man. My goal is to be as good of a man as I can possibly be at all times and in all interactions. And I think that's going to be my guiding North star, whether that means, you know, eating less junk food because that makes me a better and healthier person, or whether that means being nicer to a stranger just because I can be nice to the stranger. 
I think that is my guiding 2019. Continue the process of being a better man. Wonderful. I think one of my resolutions for the podcast is going to be to continue on the path and do uh, do better, do much better at celebrating diverse voices on the podcast. So whether that means bringing in uh, articles or opinions written by people of color or by uh, the queer community or by introducing philosophy that is not of the straight white male uh, ilk, I think that's going to be important to me. And also highlighting those stories. So uh, while we spend a lot of time on mainstream pop culture storytelling, and we will continue to do so because we want this to have some access and to celebrate um, you know, what is great in what is sometimes seen as lowest common denominator entertainment, I do want to seek out... Uh, I do want to seek out foreign language film. I want to seek out, uh, you know, mythology that is non-Western. Uh, and I want to talk more about the impact of colonialism and imperialism on storytelling all over the world. So uh, that is something I want to embrace in 2019 is diversity, uh, which is all in, in the realm of trying to become a, a more inclusive person and, and build a more inclusive community. Great. And guys, tell us what you think of our year in review. Give us your feedback. You know where to reach us. We're on Twitter at the Midnight Myth. We're on Facebook. Search Midnight Myth Podcast. Yep. And, and we're on up. Instagram at Midnight Myth Podcast. And you can go to our website, www.midnightmyth.com. Drop us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts because it really helps get the podcast out there. This is Laurel's job. I usually you don't do it. So I just did good. it. Yeah, I'm getting um, there. I yeah, usually and, fuck it up. So And let us know what you want to hear in 2019 and let us know what your resolutions are. Uh, we want to hear from you. So hit us up on social media or uh, on the website and we will be waiting to hear from you. And as always, guys, happy, happy new year. Enjoy it. Grab someone you love and give them a kiss at midnight. With their consent. And until next time, be, be kind. kind.